Hello, Martin, fellow human. Ah, it's it's my uh, Eric Bot 3000 that I purchased recently off the dark web. <laughs> Command not recognized. Executing trespass elimination. No, 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 no. <laughs> Welcome back. Episode two of Between the Gigs. Do you have any gigs? Do you know of any gigs? Speaking of gigs, you are cordially invited to the Pangea Jazz Festival, August 23rd at 7 p.m. For reservations, call 212-995-0900. When you arrive, you will see the Wes Anderson Jazz Project, a project where we interpret the music that is in Wes Anderson films in a jazzy way. In this episode, I sit down with Eric Reeves, drummer, close friend of mine, constant collaborator, amateur astronomer. Um, Eric and I make up the rhythm section that is the Like Minds Trio. Um, We've played in a lot of bands together, spent a lot of time on the road together. Um, Just two good old buddies. Uh, In this episode, we talk about our careers, our lives, and the creative challenges of being an improvising musician. So I hope you enjoy, and uh, thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Marty Eisenberg, and welcome to the second episode of my show, How Dare You, which is our working title. I'm still working on a name for the show. Um, our guest today is my very good friend, uh, Eric Reeves, who is a fantastic drummer here in New York. Um, you may know him as Stick McTricks or Smooth McGroove, depending on what part of town you're from. Um, there's a little joke that uh, that we have about Eric, and um, you'd never know by uh, looking at him or talking to him or spending five minutes with him. But he's really he's the coolest guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, Marty. <laughs> Uh, and he's also got a really good uh, sense of humor, and uh, I'm, I, I, I feel like for most people telling that joke, it's, it would come off a little offensive, <laughs> but he, he takes it in stride. I'm, I keep my rage way down inside. Good. That's where it belongs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So basically, um, we're just going to have a little chat here today about... Um, some topics uh, in the, the music biz. I'd like to kind of quiz you on your uh, uh, background, your biography a little bit, because I think it's interesting. I think you have an interesting sort of perspective in the jazz world because both of your parents are also musicians, so you're, you're coming from a musical family, and, uh, you know, you are a very fun and interesting drummer to play with. And um, we work together a lot, so I know a lot about you. So this is uh, going to be a fun chance for me to take a deep, deeper dive into your psyche. Let's do it. All right. Um, tell me a little bit about you know what it was like just growing up in a musical family. Well, I think I lucked out uh, in the upbringing department. First of all, I'm an only child, so... Christmas presents galore, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Lots of drumsticks. New new drumsticks every year. And uh, yeah, so my dad, Scott Reeves, is an accomplished trombonist, alto valve trombonist, and alto flugelhornist. Does he not play slide? No, he plays slide. Oh. Yeah. Trombone implies regular. Shut up. We'll edit that part out. No, no, leave it in. I want everyone to know what an asshole you are correcting me on my own show. All right, please continue. Yeah, so pedantry aside. um, And he's had teaching jobs all around the country, starting in Washington and Virginia, and then University of Southern Maine, where I grew up. Uh, My mother is also an accomplished pianist and vocalist, both in the jazz and classical world. And then they both currently live in upstate New York. My mother continues to play with the Portland, Maine Symphony Orchestra as one of the principal pianists there. So growing up uh, in a musical household, first of all, I was also a pretty high-strung child. And You were? Yeah, believe it or not. And banging on things was a frequent outlet for getting rid of that excess nervous energy to the detriment of 
the integrity of some of our household furniture, I might right. add. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. So my parents never really pushed music on me. I think my mom tried to give me some piano lessons when I was still in the single-digit age, perhaps, and I just could not focus because I was such a brat. But eventually, I think they realized that percussion was probably going to be the direction I was gravitating towards. So they signed me up for some African drum lesson, uh, drum lesson classes with this woman named Annegret Beyer, this German lady who had studied West African drumming. And uh, I was still pretty young at the time. I was in middle school. Mm. And uh, it did hurt my hands to play the djembe. You have to hit those things pretty hard, but it was tons of fun. I was also doing uh, mallet percussion in the school band, but I wasn't super serious about music. It was more of a more of a hobby. And I guess the older I got, when I was in college, sort of, you know, became clear and clearer to me that being a professional musician was the direction I wanted to go in life. Um, so my parents never pushed it on me, but they were always very supportive, especially when I showed interest. Do you think, so, because I, I teach a lot of kids, and um, do you think the experience of having your mom be your piano teacher might have been one of the reasons why it was hard for you to focus because I know like I have a niece and like with my students at Clinton Hill Music School like I'm I'm very sort of like I'm fun but I'm very strict with them I don't give up with them when they start goofing around but when I tried to give my niece a lesson like I just I can't because it's you know she's family and I, I I don't feel the same impulse to like I want her to love me more, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a totally valid point there. I think it was the fact that it was my mom giving yeah. me a lesson. I just didn't want to, you know, I was an undisciplined a-hole right. as a kid. However, like having a drum teacher who wasn't related to me by blood, then I felt the pangs of guilt more severely from right. having not practiced my lesson, for example. Right. yeah. Were you someone that always had pre would prepare for your lessons, always practice week to week, or...? Um, I refuse to <laughs> incriminate myself. <laughs> you know, I, I have had, like all young children, self-discipline wasn't necessarily my strong suit at right. the time. It, yeah. You know, it, that sort of came later if it came at all. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so with your parents, I, I have some, some questions about them. Like, um, firstly, I want... Did it ever, I mean, maybe you didn't notice, but did you ever feel like they were sort of competing in their careers with each other? Like, um... No, I don't think so. So, yeah, I should mention that they're both full-time, or not full-time currently, my mom's retired, but right. they've both been professors for at the graduate level for many, many years, and... Uh, they started teaching at Bellingham, Washington, which is where they first got their grad degrees. And then is that where they met? They met at Indiana University okay. when they were doing their undergrad cool. and then moved to California for a while and gradually up the, uh, up the left coast. Yep. And then, uh, I, I, I mean, I can't speak for them, but I get the impression that, you know, sometimes they taught at the same school you know, uh, but I think my mom was kind of following my dad as he pursued better and better teaching jobs mm -hmm. and eventually getting him to where he teaches now, where he's doing his final semester at City College of New York in Harlem. Uh, when my parents moved to New York, my mom was teaching uh, as an adjunct at William Patterson right, which University. Is also, a great school. also a great school. She's since retired from teaching, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't. I don't think they were, yeah, I, I don't think competition is the word. I mean, first of all, they're teaching different instruments. Right. So. Is there any ever been a time when, when you saw your parents having to make decisions over what they wanted to do creatively that, like, affected the family? You know, they've always had a pretty uh, collaborative relationship, I would That's say. Yeah. So my dad is also an accomplished composer and arranger, mm -hmm. and he frequently... Uh, 
uses my mom as his go-to editor. Ah, that's that's cute. So <laughs> she's got a really good ear for yeah. arranging and voicing and harmony and just a really deep knowledge of that subject. Yeah. And, you know, you've always got to... You, you always need another pair of ears to really get perspective on, Absolutely. you know, what you're writing. So my, my dad always gets help from my mom. She should have... Co-author credit. That's right, mom. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure the moms are listening. This is this podcast is really it's for moms. It's probably exclusively it's your ex- mom <laughs> is the only person that's ever going to listen to this. Maybe your mom. I, I hope your mom will listen. I'm hoping all the moms of my guest hosts will listen. That's really who this is for. Okay. This yeah. This one's for the moms. <laughs> um, okay. Cool. So, um, you went off to college. Um, and eventually you landed in Vermont, in Burlington, um, right after graduating school, which is where you spent how many years? That is correct. I lived in Burlington, Vermont for three years after having graduated, well, graduated, quote unquote. <laughs> quote unquote. I did, I did flunk math, so I had to oh. take sti- and you- statistics online to get my diploma after <laughs> I was supposed to have graduated. And you didn't major in jazz, right? You did anthropology? Well, you know... I kind of switched back and forth uh, and even comp- contemplated doing a double major for a while, but I was taking drum lessons and jazz band classes and, and, and basic music theory. Uh, I didn't actually get enough credits to finish a music degree because mm. I was also majoring in anthropology at the time, sort of with the thinking that I was still unsure exactly what my you know, professional path was going to be maybe i wanted to go into academia or even ethnomusicology Mm -hmm. uh but after four years of undergrad i guess uh um maybe it's the aforementioned lack of self-discipline but i was starting to feel a little burnt out by school right uh so then i i kind of realized that the thing that brought me joy the most was just just playing and where do all burnouts go to burlington baby yeah no that's a great i mean yeah it's kind of like the port Portland, Oregon of the yeah. <laughs> of the East Coast. Yeah. It was a, it was a groovy town and I met some great musicians there that currently live there that are kind of the vanguards of the jazz scene like trumpeter Ray Vega, mm-hmm. originally from the Bronx and he and, was kind uh, of a mentor to you. He right? was. I didn't go to college there and cuz he teaches at UVM, but mm. you know, that guy's got a big heart and is definitely uh, invested in helping out young people who are interested in music. So he had a a little quintet made of just some local schmoes like myself, Mm. some of them associated with college, some of them not. And, uh, you know, I got the honor of getting my butt kicked by him on a weekly basis for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really nice because we're sort of um, in a generation now for jazz musicians where, you know, back in the day... When you had your chops together, you'd, you know, if you were lucky enough to, you'd get on the road with some, you know, musician who would, you know, teach you how to like live the life and, and, you know, teach you what was important about playing. Um, And that has sort of transitioned to something that you're learning in school now. And I feel like a lot of people that come directly to New York City after they finish school and just kind of try to make it without that mentorship, it, it's it's a different experience now and it's it's kind of um, has its own set of challenges. But, um, you know, that's cool that you got to have that experience, you know. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, there are certain trades that you can only hit the books right. so much and, and that, you know, I think apprenticeship is a valuable right yeah. learning method yeah. uh, especially in in a trade like this where not only are you you know getting your grasp of music theory and all the all that stuff but right. your book learning but uh just knowing how to play with other people and knowing how to be a good accompanist if yeah. you're in the rhythm section and and also just certain music business things like you know you better work on your punctuality mm-hmm. if you want to make it in that world and mm-hmm. being prepared and doing your homework if you got a bunch of hard music to learn you better show up to the rehearsal ready to do it you know yeah. and uh those are those are some things that are learned more experientially and i think it really helps to have someone who's who's crossed that river uh sort of help guide you through it and yeah, point absolutely. you in the right direction yeah yeah and uh 
you know. Someday we're going to be the those the shepherds because yeah. because we're so old here, Marty, being in our, know, being in our early thirties, right? I mean, I would still feel rather presumptuous giving someone who wasn't a student casual advice. Well, that's what but... that's the the thing that they need the most from us. You know, we shouldn't be necessarily telling them what what you know solos to transcribe. Yeah, but I've like still that. I've still got a lot to learn too. You know, you can I mean, tell someone not... to show up on time. Or I, like okay, that I think the showing up on politics, yeah, you know, I've grasped the importance of showing up. On yeah. Time, yeah, yeah, dressing dressing <laughs> the right way. Um, I did a New Year's Eve gig one time where this kind of young guy was a drummer. And um, wait, was that a gig I was on? No, no. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I didn't do a gig. I would never do a gig without you, Eric. Um, and the guy came in, like, with the dress code was tuxedos. And he came in wearing, like, a black blazer with a white shirt without a tie or anything. And he asked the singers, like, oh, how do I look? And she's like, you're not wearing a tuxedo. And he, he was like going around to everyone else in the band like do you guys have a tuxedo i could borrow like oh my god how uh, well you know i once uh missed out on a gig because i didn't have a tuxedo and you know understandably he had to go with someone else young people get yourself a tuxedo so i got a tuxedo yeah and i've never gotten a call for oh, a tuxedo no. gig feds <laughs> but it's in the closet it's ready to go <laughs> should have come in handy one day well so getting back to Vermont, did you, ha you know, now that you've had some time to sort of uh, reflect on uh, your youth, um, did you feel like it was the right choice for you or maybe your advice for someone else to go to a, another city before coming to New York if your ultimate plan is to come to New York? Yeah, well, you know, uh, my drum teacher at SUNY Plattsburgh, Gabe Jarrett, uh, once told me that uh, you're, you're never ready for New York. Right. Because I was right. at the time, you know, I was sort of debating, well, should I just go straight to the city? You know, my dad works there. Yeah. It seems like a logical step. On the other hand, I was a little intimidated. Mm -hmm. And I also thought that Burlington seemed like maybe a good place to dip into the, the tepid waters on a smaller scene. Yeah. I think either way, you know, you're going to get your butt kicked when yeah. you first move to the city, no matter where you come from. It's just another level. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, I'm glad that I didn't spend more time than I did there because there's only, there's only so much uh, growing you can do mm. yeah, you unless you put, plunge, you got to put yourself to. in challenging situations yeah. sooner or later. So I don't know. Do I regret it? I don't think so. It was, you know, part of my life experience. It's not like I can go back and do things differently now anyway. So sure. I, I have no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> I guess sort of the, at the core of the question is like, is it, I mean, you're right. You're never ready until you get here and to, to sit on the fence is, is prevents growth. But for some people I know that came to New York at a point where they already were ready to like, play and like be on any scene any gig sometimes did better than the people that showed up to new york and just got their butts kicked for years because you never really shake that reputation of when yeah. you first get here that's a good point you don't want to go up and just your first splash is an absolute belly flop you right know, I... well i mean you kind of do too because like that's a great learning experience but i guess there's consequences to it yeah i guess it's a little of column a a little of column b you know, at, there's going to be butt kicking, but you can you can harden yourself beforehand a little bit. I yeah. think. Uh, uh, th that being said, you know, there's nothing like the New York experience. But yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know, just something I think. If about. you come here too young, then you might make a a bad first yeah. impression, and that's how people will be thinking of you. Yeah. Well, I came here for school, you know, so I was here at 17 years old. And... Oh, so you made plenty of bad first impressions. Oh, all bad. <laughs> they were exclusively all bad. bad yeah exclusively bad <laughs> um and it's probably sort of conditioned my psyche in a certain way to like think of myself not as good as other players even though like i've sort of 
overcome that over over the years. Yeah, it's still something. But maybe that's just part of the human experience. I don't know. Well, I think that is that is part of the challenge of this craft is that there's sort of always there's always the temptation to compare yourself to others, mm. and uh, to a certain point, that's valid because ultimately, you know, it's all subjective, right? Mm. So, how do you decide who's good at the instrument? Well, you look at the top top virtuoso and right. how they play and what they're doing and you know you learn from them mm. uh on the other hand no two musicians are going to do things exactly the same because right. you're also especially in something like jazz where it's there's so much emphasis around individual personality i would say even more so than bands Absolutely. that's all, why it's always the the marty eisenberg quintet or mm -hmm. whatever you know no one has uh it's it's very it's kind of a very i don't mean this in a in a disparaging way but there's definitely a matter of ego oh there are 100 uh, and uh especially for the trumpet players <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think that ultimately that ego ends up being one of the biggest obstacles to really mm. mastering the craft and getting yeah. far in it you you do need to have perspective of how far along you are in your in your growth and your development and sometimes that involves comparisons but there's a danger of getting too caught up in that right. uh, and too obsessed over you know essentially artistic vanity mm. and why did this this guy have a gig you know even feelings of jealousy those are ultimately it becomes detrimental if you if you go too far oh, you, you need to put the music first yeah. you know you're we're just vessels that mm. the music is flowing through we're just mm. a way for the music to manifest itself but no one person invented music it's right. everyone else is borrowing from the person before them and the person before them and right. you know if, if it wasn't for bach we wouldn't have equal temperament on the piano you mm. know and if it wasn't for miles davis we wouldn't have this and that and then you know so everyone's contributed something it's a greater it's you know, it's greater than any any one person. It's an yeah. entire artistic entity of yeah. its own that has to come before your individual arrogance, I right. think. Yeah, that's interesting. And that kind of brings me to a couple questions I have for you, just sort of about identity and music and individuality and labels and things like that. Um, would you define yourself as a jazz musician? Well, that's interesting because my website, ericreebsjazz.com, <laughs> which also is not regularly updated these days, I'm ashamed to say, but the reason I chose ericreebsjazz.com was because ericreebsmusic.com was already taken. Motherfucker. And I would have had to pay for it, so... Actually, that reminds <laughs> me of the, the... When I met Eric, like five or six years ago, um, I was invited to a jam session by Albert Marquez, great piano player here in New York, and um, it said that he had Eric Reeves in his band, and I thought it was Eric Reeves, the bass player. I get that. Um, yeah. So, all right, so... But, oh, yeah, to answer your question, um, jazz is what I grew up listening to, and I would say it's, you know, sort of my first love. It's mm -hmm. what really got me into music. And there are a lot of things that I love about it in particular. I like the improvisational aspect. Uh, you know, I like the emphasis on creativity and sort of in the moment, spontaneous creation. Uh, on the other hand, I wouldn't like to limit myself to any one particularly, particular genre because ultimately all those lines are blurry anyway. Right. What, I mean, what do you call jazz? Do you take a very narrow definition and say, oh, it just has to be, you know, any music written before this era or whatever? Mm -hmm. Or or do you or, does it have to or do you or broaden it so elements? much that it's almost meaningless because then you could say, oh, well, any music that has soloing right. is jazz, yeah. right? So it's all kind of arbitrary how we draw those lines. And jazz is all also constantly being influenced by its, you know, adjacent... Uh, traditions mm. i mean just look at uh you know so-called latin jazz and how many how many different influences have have integrated and, and and mixed with the genre and because it's these days such an international music even though 
obviously originally it's an American tradition, but because it's spread around the world, uh, there's, you know, very much a melting pot phenomenon. And if you go to Europe, you'll hear sort of a different stylistic interpretation of, of certain things. Mm. And, and in Japan as well, uh, you know, every, everyone's got kind of their own take on it. And I think the music as a whole benefits from having that, oh, yeah, that diversity uh, yeah. in, in the music. So I think we shouldn't be afraid about labeling it this or labeling it that. Uh, you know, ultimately, just play play what you hear, play what you want to play, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, yeah, that's all there is to it. I think. Mm. So, with that in mind, have you thought about like what a successful career for you is? I mean, I know it's a question that sort of is always developing and uh, you know in flux. But so, what what does that sort of look like to you right now? Well, I mean, in terms of career, there's fulfillment and then there's finance, right? right. And these are sometimes not necessarily, uh, you know, yeah. in in uh, harmony with each other. Right. So you got to pay rent, obviously. Yeah. And a lot of musicians, they have teaching jobs, they have side gigs. You know, I've done a lot of side gigs. I've I've never just exclusively made money from, from music full time. I've always had something else to accompany it. Right. Um, and I'm okay with that because, yeah, well, I, I don't want to say I'm like okay with it, but I, I have come to terms with the fact that it's very difficult to just play for a living in this world. You know, very few reach that level. Mm. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if you don't get there because it's just, it's just so hard to get there. You have to be a little, days. a little forgiving with yourself given the environment that you're in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got to be able to pay rent. Um, I guess, really, first and foremost, what I want out of the career is the fulfillment aspect. I want to be able to play music as much as possible because mm-hmm. it's something I enjoy. I want to be put in new, challenging situations. Mm. Uh, I I love the social aspect of it. Oh, I yeah. love meeting people, meeting new people, and the, you know, it's it's such a big town, but it's such a a small community. You see the same guys showing up at this gig or whatever and uh you know it's a great way to make friends and develop personal relationships and i think as long as i can manage to scrape by uh with the with the rent aspect is you know let's let's be frank here marty i'm married as well so <laughs> you know <laughs> oh, that's, that's another potential uh podcast listener for me is is also wives of of guests oh well if partners. she if she hasn't gotten bored by this point uh i'll give her a, a, honest a, with us a, a shout it's out getting to my, better i promise my lovely and brilliant wife yeah well this is just the second podcast <laughs> yeah, come on Anna. <laughs> we're learning we're, we're learning um how much energy do you devote into sort of thinking about your sound and, and your identity in, in the music that you perform? That's an interesting question. Thank you. I think... <laughs> 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 uh, I think that when uh, I was first starting out, when I was younger, I didn't really know what kind of drummer I wanted to be. I know there are drummers I like that I'm inspired by. I always loved Elvin. Mm. Um in terms of contemporary guys, I like Bill Stewart, Billy Martin from the band Medeski Martin and Wood. He was an early influence. I even took a lesson with him once, and I think his approach to drumming is very unique. His sort of drum storytelling, mm. uh, conceptual elements. But it's hard to... You don't want to peg yourself into a, a corner too soon i think it's good to keep your mind open and embrace are you saying stylistically or are you yeah stylistically stylistically. in terms of oh what kind of drummer do i want to be well i don't i'm not even sure you really end up choosing what kind of musician you want to be because what defines your uh your musical style well it's partly geared by your ability level but also by your personality and you don't really you don't really deliberately choose the way your personality is Mm -hmm. wired right it happens because of environment and circumstance and you happen to be in a certain place or you're exposed to this at the right time Mm -hmm. it changes the way you think so we don't really have control over you know our own personality we want the things that we want because they you know because of circumstance cause and effect 
uh, obviously we do make deliberate choices about, oh, well, I, I want to do this. But, you know, we want to do the things because we've been exposed to certain styles that for whatever reason, the aesthetic uh, resonates with us. So I think it's it's kind of a waste of time to get too caught up in, in, in worrying about that because it'll just manifest on its own. You, your Your voice will just sort of come through naturally, I think. And I've still got a lot to learn. You know, I'm still relatively young, but I do feel sort of, you know, certain stylistic tendencies becoming more uh more materialized mm. as i as i develop but i also would you know i think we'll also change over time we'll never stop changing you mm. know i mean it's if anything you it's refreshing and healthy to keep experimenting and maybe you change your sound some of my favorite musicians are precisely so because every every next album is going to sound a little different yeah. you know Look at how much Miles experimented sure. and, and changed changed but his I would style. I think that Miles was someone who thought a lot about sort of his vision or his um, who he wanted to be in the music. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I suppose you're right. I I can only speak for myself in yeah. this matter. Um, do you think that? your sound and your stuff would you wrap up how like you're in in talking about your sound your touch like the way that you you know activate the instrument is 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 that do you have the same approach to that as you feel about stylistically or is or is that something very specific that's well i think the way you play and the technique you use influences how you sound and what your style sounds like so i think they're so they're, style and sound kind are of, kind of synonymous for you well they're they're two sides of the same coin, perhaps. Um, I, I have sort of a, um, an example I thought might be interesting is when we were playing in, um, uh, we are, so Eric and I have a trio together with the fantastic guitarist Dave Juarez. We play together a lot, a lot, a lot we play together. Um, and we were doing a gig of Dave's music when he was um, leading a quintet. And we were playing this tune that was in an odd meter. And um, I mean, one of the things that works between the three of us as a band, I think, is that Dave and I are always sort of like butting heads and like creating <laughs> like tension. And it's kind of like this very sort of tumultuous, but like, you know, fertile ground for, you know, sort of like you both have of strong strong presences yeah. on the on which the is why stage, it's very say. nice to have you in the band because you can sort of like without jumping into the fray and like you know calling off the fight like you find a way to sort of create space for each of us to like do what we want to do well the drums are kind of the glue that holds everything right. together yeah and there's probably something about the personality of a drummer and also a bass player in most cases that like want to be that in mm -hmm. a band or, or just are naturally that way. Well, you know what that reminds me of? It's somewhat tangentially related, but sure. in terms of assertiveness on stage. Right. This has been something that I've struggled to find the perfect balance for. Right. Because I think everyone does, but go on. Yeah. I'm interested in this. Yeah. Um, you know, on one hand, like, let's say you're ending a tune, mm -hmm. right? You want to look at the soloist, and if they're clearly going for a, you know, a three X tag, mm -hmm. or want to keep it going on a vamp or something, you got to pay attention to what they're doing and follow them along. But sometimes they don't know what they want to do. Right. Sometimes the soloist is just as confused as everybody else, right. and they're all looking to each other for, oh crap, how do we get out of this tune? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's necessary, I think, for the drummer in particular to, because you know, the drummer is kind of driving the train yeah. in a sense, right? To just take the bull by the horns and just make the ending happen. Because right. if there's one thing that makes me feel ashamed the most, it's when there's a, a weak ending. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to have a strong ending. But endings are, you know, I've been thinking about this. Endings are like some of the hardest parts. they're not talked about. Yeah, they're not talked about. They're, they're inherently unrehearsed. Yeah. Um, well... Unless you rehearse the end. Right. Yeah, that, <laughs> I guess thing. when you're just playing tunes, though, yeah. you know, uh, everyone has their own way of approaching them. Uh, on the other hand, 
you know, you can go too far with that. And then you restrict the other players. Maybe they wanted to keep the vamp going longer and you ended it too soon. Um, so there's a very delicate balance between propelling things forward in an assertive manner that's still supportive without being overpowering and still giving maximum freedom yeah. to the, uh, the soloists and the rest of the band. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about sort of personal relationships and just knowing what the other person wants. And, you know, it's if you know you're playing with someone who is assertive, your probably first assumption is that they're going to lead the ending. And if you know you're playing with someone that's not, then, you know, you might need to step up, you know. Well, that's the risk of the kind of art form we're doing, right? The, yeah. the perils of improvisation. Right. Reward doesn't come without some danger, yeah. right? And, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've checked out some Hal Galper lectures, but... Does he talk about endings? He, he, well, he talks about being a, a, a risk taker mm. in his playing. And, uh, you know, I won't even attempt to paraphrase. Mm. Just go on YouTube, look it up. Look it up. Look, <laughs> look it up, it Mom. Up. But, uh, <laughs> but, but in general, I think sort of the point is that you should be willing to go into uncharted territories. Yeah. Um, and... But if, if you do it all the time, if you force your way in all the time, people are going to be like yeah. annoyed. Yeah, you want to do it in a constructive way, but yeah. if you don't take a little risk, then there's yeah. not as much reward. Yeah. So getting back to the whole like identity thing I was talking about before. Um, so we're in this rehearsal with Dave's band, and um, Dave is essentially telling me how he wants me to play this bass line for his song, or or or. I had come up with something organically and he didn't like it and he was sort of saying to do something else. And I think that the way that we both reacted in that situation was sort of interesting. Like I want to, you know, you were, you were saying basically like as I meant like Dave's the leader, like let's do whatever. This is Dave's gig. He wants something. We, that's our job. Like we should do it, you know? And I, I feel like, you know, depending on the gig, if I'm on a Broadway gig, the amount of creative liberty I'm going to take is like zero to three percent. And not to say those jobs aren't creative. That's another discussion. You got to um, play the ink, though. Yeah, you got to play the ink. That's the job. And, and you're being paid well to do that. If I'm on a gig that I consider creative, like I want to I very much want to play what I want to play. And it has to fit, obviously, if I'm just like playing in thumb position over like somebody else soloing that's wrong i mean it's arbitrary and it doesn't it served the music you know and i'm not saying what dave wanted me to do was wrong either and you know if i didn't have an ego i might have more easily been receptive to doing what he did and in the end of the day i think i did anyway but i very much view my role in a band is to be a supportive base for the other musicians, but it's also important to me to contribute my own unique voice on the music. So I'm not just playing the fundamental role that any other bass player could play. Whereas I think your approach to being a sideman is more relaxed. Like what I'm gathering from this discussion is you feel like your unconscious decisions will imprint Eric Reeves on the music. And even if you get direction, you're cool with that. Well, I try to say that's true or, or yeah, false? I want to be as adaptable as possible. Yeah. You know, I want to be uh, probably never going to be a master at one thing, so I might as well be mediocre at everything, right? Well, no, I want to learn to. I, I I want to learn to uh, be flexible depending on the situation. You yeah. know, if you're playing a rock gig, you're not going to play the same way as you would play on a jazz gig, right? Uh, certain concepts carry over, obviously, but you know, uh, one of my great drum mentors, Diego Voglino, mm -hmm. once told me. Fills for show, grooves for dough. <laughs> Which, That's so great. And what's so great about it is that it rhymes. It, right. I mean. um, have, you, have you thought at all about uh, putting out a record as a leader? Yeah, I've thought about it. And uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely on the agenda, I think. I think I'm still sort of figuring out what I want to do. You know, I write some electronic music, too. Mm. And uh, I don't I don't think I would want to make just like a straight ahead jazz record because mm. there are already so many people that can do that right. so well. And I also don't claim to necessarily be a master composer, I mostly just kind of write by from ear. Honestly, I mean, 
probably not a huge surprise as a drummer, but I just kind of go with my instincts. Yeah, I think that's part, you know, like at some point in the history of this music, the role of composer has been sort of foisted on every musician, you know, and and in a good way, you know, in a way that like everybody gets to have a voice and stuff. But uh, I I know that whatever I make, there's got to be synthesizers in it. Um, it's got to have a space age sound. Oh, That's because there's definitely a, a certain, uh, it, it's, I, you know, I, I want to go sort of maybe like an electric fusion route, but maybe, maybe we should edit that out because if I end up making a straight ahead record, then this will <laughs> not be relevant anymore. <laughs> no, so I'm, it. I'm open to whatever it's, it's definitely something I want to do. I feel like, uh, you know, I have dabbled in being a band leader, uh, not particularly frequently, but you yeah, know, you it, led a session at uh, Park Slope. What's it caused it before Fifth, fifth State? Yeah, yeah, some early set there. And yeah, I had some Eric Reeves quintet gigs yeah. back in the day. I think before I met you, even. No, but, I, I did a couple of those with you. Oh yeah, no, you did. Yeah, but uh, you know, I am still feeling like I'm figuring out how to be a sideman really well before I can become a great band leader. Mm. Um, Why is that? Is that just you can't juggle the two things at once, or do you feel like you need to be a great side man before you can be a leader? Well, I think it helps. I think it helps mm-hmm. give you perspective. And, you know, if you're playing in a band with someone that doesn't have much side man experience, I think it, it shows in terms oh, yeah, 100%. of, you know, you want to make it easy on your side. Man. You don't want to, well, you don't want to make it more difficult than is necessary yeah. to play the music. There's certain courtesies of even just how you write out the music and, and stuff like that, that, yeah. that will bring you greater success if you take care of your side men, you know? Mm. Um, but also, uh, I'm just not, I'm not in a big rush, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to get better. And if I release something, if I make a project too early, I might regret it later. Mm. Although I, I guess I'm it's kind of comes back to our discussion about when you're ready for New York. You're yeah. kind of never ready to make a record. Maybe your maybe your first record is just always going to be a throwaway, no matter what. Or the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, unless you're uh, Herbie Hancock. You yeah. Know. <laughs> um. So what do you you know? I guess if you were making a record or thinking about being a leader, like what what sort of do you look for in a creative collaborator? Like what? Let's just start more general at first and then maybe specifically well, like a horn player probably someone who's section. really good at programming synthesizers <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a skill no it is i'm i'm only half joking too oh, i really wish i knew somebody who was good at that yeah um well what, what do i look for well uh, let's talk about jazz yeah Maybe that's the name of the podcast. Let's talk about jazz. Let's talk about jazz, baby. I came up with a couple podcast names for you, by the way. I, I'm really struggling to find a good one for myself, but I came up with a couple ideas for Eric. Oh, if I had a podcast. Yeah. Um, one of them uh, would be Game of Drum Thrones. <laughs> nice. And I if, like that. you know, you play the Game of Drum Thrones, Ba-dum-tsh. you win or you die. And then uh, Reeves Peeves with Eric Reeves. Yeah, well, that's that's more of like a, you know, a Facebook special special edition report yeah yeah well it could be if it was if it was frequent enough you yeah. could host Reese Peeves they 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 include such topics as when your brushes get bent wires oh, and I know you hate that sympathetic snare drum rattling oh my god also uh speaking of sympathetic snare drum which is no, there's that's a there. great name for a podcast Is right it? there. This, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I'll have to think. About no, just that. kidding. Edit that out. All right, it's gone. <laughs> uh, give me some skin with Eric Reeves. Give me some skin. Yeah, slapping the skin. Slapping the skin. Yeah, well, maybe not that one. All right, moving on. We were talking about creative, creative collaborators. So, in terms of what you look for in like a jazz musician, like someone that you would like to collaborate, and not someone specific, sort of. Um, what they bring to the table. Just conceptually speaking. Conceptually. Yeah. Well, people who play creatively and listen well and are, you know, I think it's great when a band feels like it's really collaborative endeavor. Mm. Um, you know, like one of one of my favorite bands to listen to right now is Knee Body. Mm-hmm. And th- those guys, yeah. clearly, it's, it's, it's not just the so-and-so quintet. You mm. know, it sounds like a real band. And... Uh, if I were leading a band, I would want it to sound as much as possible like um, everyone's voice is, is coming through in a way to sort of make the music 
as a whole instead of just one soloist, especially because I'm not a soloist in the sense that I'm a rhythm section member. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of my primary concerns is how to be a good accompanist. And yeah. obviously I take drum solos from time to time. But, yeah. uh, I, w I would kind of like it to sound like a cohesive cohesive unit that's yeah, that's totally working agree. together to create the music as opposed to just a, a leader being accompanied by sidemen yeah there's nothing i hate more than accompanying a solo you know like <laughs> you mean in general <laughs> you mean I'm like walking like, a baseline as someone that doesn't leave any space for you to influence what he's trying to say oh sure you well know? one what? great thing about playing with horn players is that um, unless they can circular breathe, they have to take a right. break every yeah. once in a while or they're yeah, passed but out. Saxophone players, I mean, come on. A, <laughs> a lot of them don't. They seem to have incredible lung capacity, yeah. some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you ha you know what? That's a great point because, I mean, listen to Miles. How mm -hmm, much space yeah. did he leave for his rhythm section? Yeah, and it's it's captivating, you know? Like, right. It's That's a group that really... The Quint Miles Quintet, I mean, all his groups, but especially ESP and, and those records, it really sounds like a cohesive band. Yeah. It's not just Miles being accompanied. The rhythm section, Tony Williams is as much a leader as anyone else in that group in the way he propels the music forward. Yeah. Do you think I should have changed my name for show business? What are you, what, uh, Mac McDuff? Is that what, what you were going to go for? Um, for your elevator music band? Oh, yeah, the elevator music band. Yeah. Um, we were trying to make music for elevators, you know, like smooth jazz that only gets played in elevators. You know, don't restrict yourself to elevators. There's also bank, bank lobbies. Oh, bank lobbies. And don't forget phone, phone lines. Bathrooms. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely should have changed my, my name for bathrooms. Right. I, I want to hear some, some slick, smooth jazz while I pee. <laughs> <laughs> Helps the flow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast there's not gonna be much left after we edit it down um yeah uh i'm i'm running out of questions here uh tell me something interesting that's happening in science well i guess we're now officially a multifaceted podcast huh? well i can't have eric reeves on without asking him a astronomy related question because that's that is really i think your your true passion yeah well I've always had an interest in astronomy and cosmology and just sort of philosophy in general. And I think that yearning partly also comes from my dad's influence because he's an avid amateur right. astronomer, right. A, a builder of telescopes, yeah. in fact. He's gotten pretty sophisticated with it. And it makes sense because, especially if you listen to the way he writes and arranges, he's very meticulous mm. about his craftsmanship. And he takes the same approach to his... Uh, musical writing that he does to building his telescopes. He measures everything out very carefully. Sometimes he has to take something apart and start over again. If he made a mistake, he's never in a rush yeah. to get out the product. He'll make sure it's finely tuned, tested out many times. Uh, and, you know, I think part of the... So growing up in Maine, we had pretty dark skies. When we moved to Nyack when I was in high school, obviously not as much, although there is a Rockland County astronomy club. But I think that there is a similar transcendent yearning in the pursuit of science that is is that is the same as with art as well. Mm. I think that art and science both represent a, a transcendent yearning that human beings are sort of biologically programmed to be explorers. Mm. You know, I mean, we start off with this, the frontier of the plains in Africa, the horizon all around us. If food runs out, you got to move to a new location. If it gets too cold, you carry on. You know, we're sort of nomadic by nature. And now, uh, and then, <laughs> hey, I'm surprised if that would not be taken already. Actually, let's have the uh, the interns Google that for us. Interns, <laughs> they'll get back to us. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, oh, geez, I lost my train of thought. No, I think I think our our sort of intrinsic yearning to just seek out new stuff, to seek out novelties. Mm. We, we need our brains to be, to be stimulated and we need to, to find what the, what the next river to cross is. And, yeah. 
music is sort of a way, music and art is a way to sort of explore the internal, the subjective mm. experience, the, yeah. the passage of time, the moment, you know, sort of almost like a Zen-like pursuit akin to meditation, you know, mm. when you get in the zone, mm. right? When you're playing and all the other thoughts from your mind are clear and you're completely immersed in the music. I think that's a transcendent experience, which is akin to gazing up into uh, the celestial void mm. and feeling like we're part of something much greater than ourselves, part mm. of an infinitely vast cosmos. It's very humbling. Yeah. You know, the more there's always been this trend toward, oh, well, we're because we're very ego driven creatures. You know, mm -hmm. man and his arrogance has long thought that he was the center of the world and that the heavens were created for for humanity. And the more we learn, the more we find out that it's quite the opposite, that yeah. there's nothing particular, particularly special about this particular region of the galaxy. And it's one of hundreds of billions of galaxies. And. The more we learn, the more we find uh, this universe was not made for us. But mm. here we are, uh, and even if though no 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 purpose to life is apparent on its own, we can all, we also have the power to create our own purpose mm. and to create our own path. And and we do live in this vast cosmos, but it's ripe for exploration. And uh, I think so. It it it's. It's okay to feel small because it can be inspiring as well. Mm. Um, anyway, I hope that makes sense. That's a little rambly, but I think that no, I, I think, think that music, sense. music and science are both trying to explore certain truths of of nature, and you know, a, astronomy. They're looking at for empirical, objective stuff about the way the universe is, and then with art, we're exploring the subjective. Mm -hmm. We're exploring the mind and consciousness and how that works and how we relate. To the environment i think they're both equally important yeah. and something that should be both of them which are severely neglected mm. in our educational system yeah totally and with that i think we are going to uh say goodbye to uh all you lovely people out there thank you for listening um i got in our next episode i'm doing is going to be my soul doctor episode where we talk about uh that beautiful disastrous tour of of complete uh ineptitude and uh it's gonna be a really fun conversation what doesn't kill you makes you stronger buddy. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah anyway um this is marty eisenberg saying uh smell you later all right thanks for having me on oh yeah eric reeves or whatever thanks our theme music was composed by dave fugel Thanks again to the companies whose products I endorse, Fender, Aguilar, DR Strings, and Radial Engineering. You can catch the Like Minds Trio with Sammy Stevens every Monday at the Sky Deck of the Lifetime Athletic in Times Square, uh, 605 West 42nd Street. We play up on a rooftop with a bar and a pool and Instagram influencers. It's pretty cool. Anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs>